Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, it is good to be back in, in Port Clinton and to, to see you guys. Um, today, is, we're going to start off with a question about a question, okay? A question about a question. And here it is. Do you know how to define a loaded or an assumptive question? You might say, what? What is he saying? Do you know how to define a loaded or an assumptive question? Now, check this out. An assumptive question, it's a trick or it's a complex question that contains falsehoods, an assumption or unfounded presumption of guilt, okay? And you might be thinking, what? And then here we go. Check this out. Here's one example. Have you stopped cheating on your taxes? That's an assumptive type question. Or how about this one? What's wrong? Somebody ever asked you that? What's wrong with you? And you're thinking, well, nothing's wrong with me. Why are you, why are you asking if something's wrong? There's nothing wrong today. Or where are you going to college this fall? Maybe you're not going to college. That's okay. Maybe you're going to the workforce or something. Or uh, when did you move to the U.S.? <laughs> Assuming that the person's not from the United States, okay? People do that sometimes, especially with people with accents and things like that. And then this is my favorite one coming up right here. Where did you put the remote? Anybody ever said that? Now, come on. I say that almost every day to my kids. <laughs> it's usually my fault. Usually I'm the one that messed it up. But those are just kind of, an ex those are examples of what would be called assumptive questions where you are assuming something about another person. And uh, I know for me personally, I've had lots of different assumptive questions that have been asked of me, you know, over the years. For example, um, a few years back, I was, uh, I got a black, blue, yellow, green, purple, red eye, okay? And uh, it did not look good. And it was one of those things where people were just assuming different things like, okay, did somebody just slug you? in the face? Did you run into something that was six foot two? What, what happened? You know, and a lot of times people are just assuming that something, you know, really big had happened because my eye looked horrible. And then I began to explain to them that no, it was, it was none of those things. Basically what happened was I love to play Nerf gun wars with my kid. Okay. My son who's 10, this is back when he's about seven. So we're playing Nerf gun wars. And I want to tell you, it's probably important to wear those glasses because we are playing, and he comes around the couch with one of those bazooka guns and shoots me point-blank range right into my left eye. And I'm serious. I, I, was, I was blinded for a few seconds. I thought, okay, I once was blind, but hopefully I will see. You know, because it was one of those deals where it scared me. And, and I was a lot of pain, and I ended up going to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor said, you have a bruised retina. That's what you have, a bruised retina. So luckily it wasn't detached because she said, you would not believe how many surgeries I have done from Nerf guns. And I was like, are you kidding me? She goes, no, I have done several surgeries on detached retinas from people from Nerf gun wars. And I thought, wow, that is interesting. But it was also interesting the fact that People assumed something had happened to my eye, but they never would have guessed that it was something to the effect of a Nerf gun, okay? But it's interesting as we get into John chapter 9, it starts off with Jesus' disciples 
that are asking an assumptive question, get this, about a blind man. About a blind man. And here's what it says. Check it out. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Right off the bat. That's an assumptive question, isn't it? Jesus' disciples assumed that the reason that the man was blind was because he had done something to deserve it. He had committed some kind of sin that caused God to strike him with blindness. This was kind of a a real common belief in the Jewish culture. And it kind of still hangs around a little bit today, if you think about it. So now it is true that all suffering is a result of the fall of humanity, and therefore it's a consequence of the mess that we've all created, a broken world, which we all can agree that we live in a very, very broken world, a hurting world, a world full of, there's a lot of pain that's here in this world. But it's not true that there is a direct correlation between our moral failures and our personal suffering. It's not karma. It's not a system. And we have to, as a believer in Christ, we have to understand that because it has permeated our culture big time that this, this whole karma idea, and it's just not true, okay? There's tons of people that are very, very strong believers in Jesus Christ that love Jesus Christ with a passion that are going through so much suffering, okay? So much pain. Check this out. John 9, 3. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Wow. Never think about that, that the suffering that he was going through, that that actually could be directed for the power, the glory of God. This would have shocked the people that Jesus was using this man instead of someone successful, instead of some type of religious leader to display his glory. But that's the beauty of Jesus, isn't it? Over and over and over again, he uses people that you would never expect. The people that have been marginalized, that we're trying to really reach out to, the people that nobody cares about. It's not always the super intelligent, the super gifted, the super athletic, the super... No. It's those that sometimes are the most unique people, the people that are maybe hurting the most, you know? They believed many ways that prosperity was somehow directly related to God's work in your life. But Jesus is boldly stating that this man's position in life was divinely crafted for this specific moment in time, for God's glory to be revealed. And that's the chief aim of man, is for us to be able to know God, to make him known, and for his glory, right? That one of the things that Chuck Swindoll says it very, very well, when he says one of our, the biggest things that we could possibly do is to see how can we bring maximum glory to God in our lives. That's what it's all about. It's not glory to ourselves. No, it's glory to God. How we can be able to honor him. So here's what this means. If you're going through something right now that is a direct result of poor decisions and actions on your part, because sometimes that can happen, 
We have to recognize that sometimes that can happen. There's a saying that says that everything happens for a reason, and sometimes the reason is because you made bad decisions. That, that can be true. We can't blame everything on the devil or other people. Usually, I'm the common denominator. If it's a bad decision, it's not somebody else's fault. It's mine, me, myself, and I. It's me. Okay, so there are that part. But maybe you are really trusting in Jesus. Maybe you are following him. You're putting him first in your life. You're staying faithful to Jesus and his word. And when there's sin in your life, you're confessing it and you're repenting. You know, you're, you're turning, you're going the other way. So you're doing that in your life. And maybe you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's being exhibited in your life and you're seeing some of that love and that joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's happening in your life, right? That's exciting. But then something or some things are happening that you don't understand. You're like, why would this happen? I'm following you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. How could this possibly happen? This doesn't seem fair. And maybe you question God. What did I do? Or what am I doing to deserve this? I've done that before. I've said that before. Maybe some of you have as well. What I, what I, I love you, God. Why? Why? What did I do to deserve this? See, this whole text is for you today. I know it can be difficult and it can seem unfair, but God allows us to go through suffering at times. You know, we know Romans 5, 3, 5 says that sufferings can produce perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. Some of my favorite verses to realize that we need to continue to persevere. God can and does reveal his glory through suffering. And the greatest display of God's glory and his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his victory was on the cross. It was on the cross. The ultimate act of suffering took place on the cross. What seemed to be the greatest suffering ever experienced was the greatest display of God's glory. Of God's glory. It's the opposite of what we could ever have fathomed. That's what's so beautiful about the Bible. Everything is upside down. It's flipped from what the world says, from what our minds sometimes say. When you read the Bible, the beauty of it is it's upside down. It's opposite of what our natural inclination would be. What seemed to be the greatest suffering ever experienced was the greatest display of God's glory. So even when it doesn't make sense, just like the cross on Good Friday, what do we have to do? Just trust. <sighs> Easier said than done, right? When you're in that valley, oh, I've been there. When you're in that valley, and you hear people say, ah, I just trust God, everything will work out. I'm like, you know, you're thinking, how's this going to work out? You know, but then you're like, okay, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you, God. And then the miracle of miracles happens many a times. And it might be days, weeks, months, years, decades. We don't know. But we got to trust. We got to trust that he's got a plan, that he's going to work things out for ultimate good. That's Romans 8, 28, right? We don't flippantly quote that 
You know, sometimes as believers, we could just say, well, we know that God works together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. You know, so we kind of, as Christians, we can just kind of toss out verses sometimes. We got to be careful. We got to really understand that. And yes, God is going to work for my ultimate good because I love him. And according to his purpose, he's going to do it. Okay. But we don't want to just flippantly throw that at people that are going through rough times, okay? We can use that scripture, but use it with a lot of love and a lot of compassion and a lot of empathy for people, okay? It's important. We have to understand, it's not, this isn't the end of our story. It wasn't the end of man's story. It wasn't the end of man's story. Here's what happens next in the account. I love this. Check this out. It says, then he spit on the ground. Well, that's, that's nice. Yeah, I tell my kids not to spit. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sense. So the man went and washed and came back seen. Ooh. Now, I don't know about you guys. My vision is not so good. Okay, I've had glasses since seventh grade, I know you can't see them now, that beautiful thing called contacts came into play by college, but my eyes have gotten worse and worse. I mean, I would have, probably my lenses would be out to here or something, you know, like the giant Coke bottles. That's probably what they would be, okay? But uh, I've had lots of appointments with optometrists, ophthalmologists, optotherapists, you know, anything optho, I've done it, okay? But I've never seen any one of the optos walk over to plants in a waiting room and then grab, you know, a handful of dirt from the plant and then just kind of spit and then make a topical treatment and then put it on my eyes. I've never seen that. Maybe you have, I don't know. I've never seen that. See, saliva was believed to have some medicinal properties. Okay, we have to understand it. Some medicinal so that's probably why maybe your mom, you know, licked her thumb and then wiped it, a scrape, you know, when you were a kid. Maybe you're 40 and your mom still does that for you. I don't know. But it's one of those things where mud, though, that's, that's a whole different level. Mud, that's, that's kind of weird. That's kind of gross. You know, there are probably lots of animals around in this particular setting, and it would have been like mud from the county fair or something that is being used. But Jesus chooses to heal this man in this unique way. Isn't that cool? I mean, think about this. He could have just spoke it like he did numerous times. He just said, boom, you're healed, right? He could have just said it, and the man could have been healed. Very easily, it could have happened. But he decided to do it this route. Perhaps he used the dust of the ground as a reflection of how he brought about human life in Genesis and how he was still the god of materials that he used to create humans. It's possible. Whether it's weird or not, it worked. It worked. But it wasn't until the man really took the step of faith, right? He took the step of faith, then he was healed. Then he was healed. It wasn't until he washed in that pool of Siloam that he could see which seems kind of like an unusual request, but again, emphasizes kind of what Jesus' mother said to the servants at the wedding in Cana, where Jesus asked them to take on the task of doing what? Filling those jars with water, right? To be able to make wine. We looked at that several weeks ago. 
also seemed like a very unusual request. But do you remember what Mary said at that particular time? She said, do whatever he tells you. Good words. Good words for us. Do whatever Jesus tells you. So if Jesus is speaking to your heart as you're reading the scriptures and Jesus is telling you to do something and he keeps on stirring and he keeps on stirring, he keeps on stirring and you're like, no, 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 it can't be, can't be, can't. but it becomes very apparent that Jesus wants you to do this. Then do it. We had a guy yesterday, um, I did the men's fraternity in Norwalk yesterday morning and this guy came in and he goes, I don't know why I'm here. I go, well, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Welcome. You know, and he goes, I shouldn't be here, but God kept kind of stirring me and kept hitting me. I go, I'm not, he goes, I've never been to a men's group before. I said, well, we're not going to do any crazy. You're not going to like fall on the ground or anything. You know, nothing's going to happen. We're just going to study the word and we're going to pray. We're going to link arms as men and we're going to sharpen each other. I didn't say it like that. I didn't want to scare him. <laughs> but it was one of those deals where it was cool that he did what Jesus told him. That, that God was telling him, I got to go. I don't know why I'm going. I've never gone to one of these things before, but I'm going to go. And he did. And it was awesome to see by the end of the group, he's, he wanted to keep on rolling. I mean, he wanted to go for hours. I love that. That's because he was obedient. Okay? He was obedient. See, it applied at the wedding. It applied to the blind man. And it applies to us as followers of Jesus today. This is an incredible account of Jesus demonstrating his love for a man who didn't earn it. Plus, Jesus' authority over creation. And you think, hallelujah, what an awesome ending. Praise God, the end. No. The religious folks show up again. The people that think they've got it all together. Here they come. Okay, here they come. 9, 13 to 16. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Hmm. So... Here we go again with the religious leaders. You're seeing a theme week after week, aren't you? The leaders are getting upset because Jesus, he's working on the Sabbath. He's working on his day off, so to speak. And the Pharisees had made a long list. Here are the do's, here are the don'ts for the Sabbath. And technically, I guess making mud was against that Sabbath rule. So they didn't care that the poor guy could finally see instead of rejoicing that he could finally see and the blinders were off. They just didn't want any mud being made. Whoa. Were they just the type of people who were cynical? And they just always saw the glass as half empty? Were they jealous of Jesus' popularity his influence on people? Maybe. Might have been. But part of it, I believe, was fear. It was fear. They were afraid of Jesus. The Israelites had been exi exiled to Babylon 
from which they had recently then returned and had been because of idolatry, their worship of other gods. So to prevent that exile from ever happening again, they decided they were going to create rules to keep them from ever, ever going astray again. Now, the problem is they created hundreds upon hundreds of rules, which doesn't help. And Jesus, by his actions and his influence, seemed to be about to try to lead what they thought God's people astray again. And this may explain some of the very strong response to what Jesus was doing and who he was claiming to be. The Pharisees would not believe that someone from God or claiming to be God would break God's rules by working on the Sabbath. You can kind of sum up their attitude with this particular saying right here. They are none so blind as those who will not see. They are none so blind as those who will not see. And that's our, that's our bottom line. We're trying to have a bottom line for each sermon, and that's our bottom line there. And, you know, I'd love to claim that, but I didn't come up with it. Basically, it is a proverb that's been traced back to a man by the name of John Haywood in 1546, and it resembles really the biblical verse of Jeremiah 5.21, which says, listen, you foolish and senseless people with eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear, Jeremiah 5.21. They couldn't see the miracle of healing through the details of rules. This gets so bad that they even question, they even question if the healed man is really the same man that was born blind. They begin to question that. They say, no, 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 this must be a different guy. This couldn't have happened. This must be somebody different. The account goes on with the Pharisees kind of drilling the man and even bringing his parents into questioning. And then back to accusing Jesus. Always about accusations. Always about accusing others. We see this in verse 24. It says, so for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Ooh, pretty intense. But then check out the, the blind man's response. I love this. I don't know whether he is a sinner. The man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. I was blind, but now I can see. Now, I only know what it's like to be blind for a few seconds, okay? But let me tell you, that was a scary few seconds. That felt like a long time, okay? But I do know what it's like to be spiritually blind for a number of years before the eyes are opened wide. And when that happened, when I was almost 17 years old, it was like a revolution. A, a just all of a sudden, the Christmas carols had more meaning. Christmas had me. Easter, I began to understand all these things. Whoa! It was the most exciting time because I could see. I could see spiritually, finally, the greatest thing ever. But we have to make sure that we keep those eyes open, right? We have to make sure. 
The Pharisees, they couldn't see the miracle of healing through the details of all the rules. This gets so bad that they even question if the healed man is really the same man. We already talked about that. But then we look at the next part, and we see in the next part, the Pharisees were so upset that they bullied the man. They bully him. And we talk about bullying today. Well, here's some major bullying. And they punish him for his healing. They accuse the man and Jesus. Jesus, God on earth, of being a sinner. Why? Because they believe Jesus cannot be from God just because he's working on the Sabbath. Jesus is showing that the whole point, though, of the Sabbath is to set people free from slavery, specific religious slavery that makes you believe that you have to constantly follow rules to earn God's favor. It's the slavery of self-righteousness. I was that kind of sinner. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't have sex before marriage. I didn't do all that stuff. I praise God. But you know what? I was a slave to self-righteousness. And that's just as bad. We kind of think, well, I didn't do all that stuff, so therefore that makes me better. No, wait a second. If we've got that pride that we're walking in, that's pharisaical. That's what we have to realize. The Pharisees cannot see through their own assumptions. So we have to look, who is really, who is really blind and who is really a sinner? You're starting to see it's becoming evident. Remember, there are none so blind as those who will not see. Jesus came back into the account after the man is forced out of the synagogue. They force him out. This is what he says. He says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. As Jesus does, he uses miracles to point to something greater. Jesus reveals what? That he is the son of man. He's the son of God and the son of man. He uses this Old Testament figure of the son of man. It actually comes from Daniel chapter 7 to indicate that his essence and authority as then God himself, fully God, fully man. Because of who Jesus is, though, okay, because of who Jesus is, we have to realize in what he has done, he is willing to then listen to Jesus, to believe in that realization and to worship him. Jesus finally is showing then the point of this whole discussion that the Pharisees are the ones that are truly blind. Maybe not physically, but spiritually blind. They're blind to the possibility of God functioning outside of their preconceived ideas about his character and how he works. Their religious arrogance, check this, and burdensome rules had blinded them to the possibility of their own sin and need for Jesus. How ironic that the Pharisee's sin had caused their blindness, which was the opposite of the man. Man, I can't believe that the Pharisee somehow would be so blind. I'm glad that I'm not like that. Ah, wait a second. See, it's easy to scoff at the Pharisees and not assume that we are anything like them, isn't it? The truth is, we're a lot more like the Pharisees than we're ever going to admit. 
We usually don't even realize it. We don't want to realize it. There are none so blind as those who will not see. Why are we unaware? Why do we deny this blindness? Here's some some different things. First, we compare ourselves to the diluted standards of culture, standards that fall far below God's standard for us. The comparison trap, we always have to be careful of that, right? We compare ourselves to others to make ourselves look better, to lift ourselves up, put others down. Second, we compare ourselves to others and point out their sins so ours don't seem so bad. There we go. Third, we argue so much for our righteousness that it leaves little time to reflect on the reality of remaining sin. We are all a wretch, you know, saved a wretch like me. If we don't see our sinfulness, then how are we going to ever need a Savior? We have to see our sinfulness so that we can recognize our need for a Savior. It's the basic nature. Sin is deceitful, right? It can blind, hide, defend, blame, masquerade as acceptable, points fingers, and even questions the goodness of God. It can do all of those things. It blinds the person who is sinning. Here's where the deception comes in. A physically blind person is never blind to his or her own blindness. They're aware of the reality that they're unable to see. So they set up boundaries. We can set up boundaries and ask for help to kind of stay safe. Spiritually blind people, however, are convinced that they see quite well. If you're spiritually blind, you think, well, yeah, I've got it all together. I can. I could see quite well. I understand this church thing. I understand the God thing. No, we should always be growing. We all need Jesus every single step, second of the day. Sometimes we have to ask them, what do we do? Maybe God initially opens up our eyes, but it's kind of like with glasses. If you wear the same glasses, if I still was wearing my seventh grade glasses, I wouldn't be able to see very well, right? I've had multiple prescriptions since seventh grade to get my vision better. We need that spiritually, don't we? We need God to sharpen our vision. Well, we're not the same as what we were last year, five years ago, 10 years ago. I want to be able to know God better and better each and every day. I don't want to be the same as five, 10 years ago. I want to be one of those that someday at like age 80 or 85 or 90 or whatever and have walked with God and understand God in a deeper level than ever before, never arriving, but always striving to know God deeper. As I've walked with Jesus, I've seen him open my eyes. I praise him for that. But we have to want it, don't we? We got to want it. We have to admit and ask. That's a big thing. Admit that you're more spiritually blind than you realize and seek help. Ask God to open up our eyes as we read his word. Ask him to search our hearts and show where we're blind. Ask the Lord to give us a humble, humble and receptive heart when Christians you trust confront your sin, even if you think you're t- they're totally inaccurate, don't be defensive. If somebody that loves you, I've had this before in my life, where people that have loved me, that have confronted me over something, and I'm very thankful. 
At first, maybe not. <laughs> I'm like, how dare you? And then I realized, no, they love me, and so they don't want me to keep doing these things or saying these things that are wrong in God's eyes. So they confront, and so then we have to understand how are we going to respond to that? we got to put down pride and admit that we may have been wrong. We have to read God's word with a willing spirit. And we have to understand, are we free? Are we really truly free? It was for freedom that Christ has set us free, no longer to be burdened by a yoke of slavery. We're going to get ready to close here today. And maybe you're here and you still have got those blinders on. Or maybe you, you had your eyes opened at one point, but now they've been closed. And I just want to encourage you today, take the blinders off. Get the, the new prescription of glasses. Let the Holy Spirit begin to really work in your heart and in your eyes and in your life. He wants to do that. Not just once, but for a lifetime. But we have to be open to his leading in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just come before you right now, and Lord, we just say how much we love you, and we praise you. And dear God, I pray right now for people maybe that are here today that, that have never taken those blinders off. They've never been able to see spiritually. And I pray, dear God, that you would help them to be able to do that. I pray that they'd be able to, to repent of their sins and come to know you in a real, true, personal way that they would be able to see. Lord, thank you that you desire for us to do that. And you want to draw all people unto you, dear God. And so, Lord, I pray for people to do that today. And, Lord, if maybe there's somebody here that, that has done that, but they've let the prescription just go by the wayside. And, Lord, I pray that they'd be able to renew their hearts and their minds, their eyes in you, dear God. Give them the strength to do that. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you that there are none so blind as those who will not see. Help us to see. Open up the heavens so that we can see you more clearly. That's our heart's cry today. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, happy Father's Day again, everybody. God bless you guys. Have a great, great day.